Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We're finishing up our series today on the issue of justification. We've been looking at, for the last several weeks now, how the Apostle Paul, really in chapter 4, well, uh, starting in chapter 3, chapter 4, and now through chapter 5, has been looking at the whole issue of our justification, of how through faith, because if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He justifies you, that is, you are now acceptable unto God. And so just kind of refreshing your memory a little bit, remember we've looked at several different things about what cannot justify you. You're not justified by your actions, your good deeds, because the reality is is that you can never do enough good deeds to justify yourself before God. You're not justified by your religious actions. Simply showing up here today is not going to justify you before God. Putting something in the offering plate is not going to justify you before God. Reading your Bible every day is not going to justify you before God. Now, all those things have a purpose, and they are needful for the Christian life, but as far as your acceptance before God, that's not going to do anything for you. And then Paul also tells us about keeping the law is not going to justify you before God. What justifies you is the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're trusting and believing in that for your salvation, for embracing that in your life. And then last week we saw how there are some certain benefits. You have peace with God. You Certain things that result because of that justification. Now, he's going to wrap it all up. He's going to wrap up today in verses 12 through 21. He's going to give a concluding statement to really what he's been talking about since about halfway through chapter 3 into here. He's going to sum everything up that we've looked at for the last few weeks. In fact, let me just be honest with you. Verses 12 through 21, many scholars believe that these are the most important verses in all of the New Testament. What he says here in these verses are the most important things that you and I will ever realize about our salvation. And really what we're going to look at is that because of the hopelessness that we were in because of our sin in this world, we can have hope. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Hope in the midst of hopelessness. So I want you to notice with me verse 12 of chapter 5 as we look at this very important section. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but the sin is not imputed when there is no law. Therefore, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many die, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. 
For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we're going to look at here is the summary statement about what it means for you and I to be justified today. So the first thing I want you to notice, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. And first of all, if you and I are going to understand, again, finally, what does it mean for you and I to be justified, we have to understand our hopelessness, our hopeless situation. So I want you to notice verses 12 through 14. And notice several different things here I want you to see about our hopeless situation, why Jesus had to do what he did, and hopefully help, hopefully help us to understand why Justification is so important. The first thing I want you to notice, verse 12 tells us, is this. Death dominates because of sin. Death dominates because of sin. How many of you heard this statement that all of us are affected by what? Death and taxes. How many of you have heard that before? All of us, right? That's a reality, isn't it? Nowhere in the world can you get away from taxes. Simple fact of the matter is, nowhere in the world can you get away from death. Every one of us here has been touched by death in some way, have we not? You have either lost parents, some of you have lost children, all of you have been touched by death in some way, whether it's friends, relatives. Death is a reality that all of us live with, is it not? It's something we try to put out of our mind. It's something that we try to do as much as we can to not allow it to affect our lives as much, but the reality is is that we always recognize it's there. Holidays come around. Memories flood our minds. Songs on the radio can bring back memories. Death is a reality, is it not? But death is a result of a reality that's even greater than death. Death is a result of a reality of sin. The reason why all of us are affected by death and the reality is, is unless Jesus comes back, every single one of us here are going to die at some point. And none of us know when that point is. And so death is this reality. Now the reason for death, Paul tells us here, look at verse 12, notice what he says. Therefore, just as through one man, now who's this one man he's talking about? Our forefather, our, you know, all of us here are family, do you realize? We all share a great, 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 who knows how many times great-grandfather named Adam. And because of Adam's sin, notice what he said, sin entered the world and death through sin, and notice what he says, and thus death spread to all men, because what? All sinned. 
The reality of death in our world is because of sin. Now let me just stop for a minute. I've got to make a side note here. Oftentimes when we are faced with death, and oftentimes when we have someone who is dying in our family, maybe it's through a chronic illness or something, maybe through a tragic accident, we will oftentimes blame who first? God. What does verse 12 tell us? Look what verse 12 says. Why does death enter into this world? Sin. Did God have anything to do with that? No. No. The world that we live in, the tragedy of the world, turn on your news, open the newspaper, look at what's happening around you in your own community, is because of the world in which we live in, not because of God. And so death dominates our, our culture. Death dominates our lives because of sin. That's our hopeless situation. But see, Paul's not just talking about physical death here. He's also talking about another dimension of death, which we don't usually talk about. Because in our culture today, we live in a culture today where people just think when you die, that's it. But he's talking about another dimension of death here. And that dimension is a spiritual death. Both physical death and spiritual death dominates. You say spiritual death. What are you talking about, George? The spiritual death that he talks about is eternal punishment in hell. And it dominates because of what? Sin. And so then he makes another point here. Look with me at verse 13 through 14. And he says this. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, deaths reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Here's the next point he wants us to understand, is that all humanity is dominated by sin. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them, you're a sinner. Go ahead, look at the person next to you and tell them, you're a sinner. Now, some of you are shocked. Like, how dare you call me that? But I'm going to be honest with you. What Paul is trying to tell us here is from the very beginning, even though you and I didn't do the same sin that Adam did, the same transgression of Adam, everybody from Adam on has been dominated, controlled by what? Sin. The reality is all of us sin, do we not? We're all dominated by sin. And what's the result of that? Death. See, that's our hopeless situation. So here we are in this hopeless situation where because of one man, Adam, our forefather, he imputed to all of us, that is, he gave to us an inheritance. You mean an inheritance? What what inheritance did I get from him? You got a natural byproduct of being his son or granddaughter. The ability to sin. And because of that, all of us are dominated by it and all of us must face death. But you say, okay, that's our hopeless situation. Where's the hope? Notice with me now verse 15 through 19. He's going to contrast the two. Paul's going to take Adam over here and talk about what Adam did so that he can show us what Jesus did. And so what we're going to look here in verses 15 through 19 and see how Jesus in the midst of our hopelessness, intervened. He intervened in our lives. Why? Because He loved us. See, aren't you glad that Jesus, can I be honest with you, before we look at this passage, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't have the attitude that some of us have? 
What do you mean the attitude that some of us have, George? What I mean by this is, is usually when we see somebody with a problem, we kind of sit there and we'll say, boy, I know they got a problem, but I don't really have time for that. I don't want to get involved. Isn't that how we are? Let's be honest, isn't that how we are? Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't that way? Because in the midst of our hopeless situation, he could have said, you know, they made their own bed. Let them sleep in it. I don't need to get involved here. But he did. So notice with me what he says. First of all, notice with me verse 13 through, excuse me, verse 15. Notice what he says. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Here's what he's saying. If sin dominates because of one man, Adam, then here's what he says. God's grace is available to all. God's grace is available to all. If all of us are affected because of one man's sin, if all of us are facing death penalties in our lives, the reality of death later on in our life, or for some of you who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, the reality of a second death, a spiritual death, then because of one man, a righteous man, a godly man, God Himself in human form, Jesus Christ, we have a free gift, grace. Grace. It was given to you. It was given to you. And it is available to everybody. Everybody who believes. So, He says the free gift is not like the offense. It's not like sin where you don't have a choice over it. You have a choice over this one. And the choice is that that grace is available to you. And then verse 16, he goes on and talks about this gift now, about how what does this gift do? What does this grace do? So notice with me verse 16, and he says, And the gift is not like that which came through one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So what's he saying here now? In layman's terms, so that you and I understand what he's saying here, he's saying this. God's grace covers all sins. God's grace, this free gift, covers everything. Everything? Everything. Look with me. Notice what he says again. And the gift is not like that which came through one man's sin, for the judgment which came from one's offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, the free gift, what he's saying here, the gift of salvation, the gift of grace that he gives to you and I, comes because of all of our offenses. Results in what? Justification. Now what does justification mean again? It means to have the slate... Wiped clean. It means to be exonerated. It means to be set free. It means to be everything wiped clean. It means that God no longer looks at you and says, Oh, well there's so and so. They did that so many years ago. No, God doesn't do that. When you and I are justified, the the slate is wiped clean. Now everybody else around you might remember 20 some years ago. God doesn't. See, that's the gift. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In the midst of our hopelessness, Jesus comes and through his death, just as one man brought us death, through his death, he now brings us life. And how he brings us life is, is that he provides to everyone who will accept forgiveness. Now some of you here are having a hard time even 
considering that because immediately in your mind, maybe the enemy's right there with you right now and he's saying these words to you. Yeah, that's true that George is saying that, but that's true for everyone but you. Because don't you remember this? Don't you remember what you did over here? Some of you are wrestling with those feelings right now, aren't you? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible with me and I want you to look at verse 16. And I want you to look at the verse and see if there's any asterisks or or number or something there that refers to a footnote down at the bottom of your Bible. And I want to make sure that nobody's Bible here has a footnote that says, for everybody but you. Anybody have that written down there? If you do, you wrote it there. Why? God's grace covers all sin. You say, well, George, you don't know what I did. Look, my friends, the man who's writing this letter that we're examining murdered Christians. If God's grace could cover his sin, it'll cover yours. There's nothing that it won't cover. Nothing. God's grace covers all sin. And so we see that aspect of Jesus' intervention. And so then notice, again, verse 17 through 19, he's going to make this point now that God's grace comes through Jesus Christ. God's grace comes through Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, verse 17 through 19. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Here's what he's saying to you and I. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. Your salvation has everything to do with Jesus. You understand? You can try to be Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or Miss Goody Two-Shoes. You can try to do all the right things, carry the right size Bible. You can dress the right way. None of that is going to gain your acceptance with Jesus because that's not what God is looking at when it comes to you because He knows that no amount of stuff on your part will do it. It's not your good deeds. It's not your religious acts. It's not your law-keeping. Your justification, your salvation comes through the obedience of one man who, Jesus, his obedience to the cross. And because of what he has done, I'm accepted with God. I'm forgiven by God because I have trusted in what Jesus has done for me. That's the reality. And some of us here need to wake up to that reality. We keep thinking in terms of God looking at me in terms of God accepting me based upon what I do. My friend, He loves you and accepts you not because of you. He loves you and accepts you because of Jesus. Grasp the reality of that. See, that's Christ's intervention in our hopelessness. We keep forgetting our hopelessness. What about our hopelessness, George? We were headed to hell. And He intervened. So then finally in verse 20 and 21, He talks about the blessing of grace. And as we look at these two verses, I want you to, for a moment, I want you to think for a moment of your salvation. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ here today, I want the reality of what the Apostle is about to tell you and I in these two verses 
to reach you. Let them reach you because it's a powerful truth here that you and I need to understand. Notice with me first, first of all, verse 20. Notice what he says. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Notice what he says here. Grace is greater than the sins exposed by the law. Grace is greater than the sins exposed by the law. Some of you here today, you are carrying with you the weight of what it is that you did or the habit that you have or something that's in your life that is just tearing you apart and you have this guilt as you stand before God. My friends, the reality of verse 20 says this, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. In fact, about 450 years ago, there was a Puritan pastor, writer by the name of Richard Sibbs, who said this powerful statement that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. Isn't that an awesome thought? Is that there is more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in me. That's the blessing of grace. Some of you are so defeated here this morning. Some of you have this view of God that He's just waiting to squash you. Just waiting to crush you. Just waiting for another problem to enter into your life because of something that you did. My friends, that's not God. You have a wrong concept of God. What do you mean, George? How can you say that? The God I know, the God of the Bible, loved us so much, He would send His own Son to die to rescue you and I. Doesn't sound like somebody who's waiting to squash me, does it? The God I know has mercy overflowing. Grace beyond measure. You just need to embrace it. You just need to embrace it. And so, grace is greater than the sins exposed by the law. Notice now verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's he saying here? While sin brings death, while sin brings death, grace brings life. While the sin in my life will result in my physical death, grace gives me life. And I'm not, let me just stop for a moment because we say, oh yeah, eternal life, I understand that's heaven later on. No, not just later. It's life now. You say, what do you mean by that, George? Hey, how many of you are crippled by the sin? Mentally, emotionally? How many of you are crippled? How many of you have been there where you have been crippled by it? The shame. Let me use a word that everybody understands. How many of you have been crippled by shame? How many of you? Think, don't, don't raise your hand. We don't need to see. How many of you have been crippled by shame, by guilt? And if, you know, if you've been there where you have been crippled by shame and by guilt, it affects the way you live your life, does it not? Sometimes you can't even get up out of the bed in the morning. You know you got to, but you drag yourself out. Grace brings life. Not just eternal life later on. Grace brings life now. Why? Because the shame, the guilt is removed. It's removed. 
When you understand that He forgives you and wipes the slate clean, there's new life. I'm forgiven. I've been made whole. You know, a beautiful illustration of that is when you look in the Gospels and you see Jesus heal the blind man who's been blind all of his life. And he immediately, as soon as he sees, he has a new life now in front of him because before he was in complete darkness. Now he has life and so he's excited. Nobody can keep him from shouting because why? He's got a new life. See, grace, the blessing of grace is is that it's there's more mercy than the sin in me but it gives me life. It gives me life. Here, let me give you two thoughts to think about before we leave here today. Number one, do you realize the reality of sin in your life? Do you realize the reality of sin in your life? Unless we recognize the reality and the hopelessness of our sinful situation, we will never turn to the true source of healing, Jesus. Do you recognize the reality of sin in your life? Don't let that fly over you. You say, what do you mean, George? Because, you know what, we're good at making excuses. We're good at saying, I'm okay. Do you realize the reality of sin in your life? That reality of that sin in your life, remember what he said in our hopeless situation, brings what? Death. And that's not just physical death. It's not just spiritual death. I've mentioned those two aspects of death. There's a lot of other death too. Notice something. It's because of one man's sin that we all are condemned. Adam's sin. See, that's the nature of sin. Sin just doesn't affect one person. Sin affects everyone. Sin affects everyone. And the result of sin is never, are you listening to me? Never something positive. Your sin always results in the destruction of others around Do you realize the reality of sin in your life? Ask yourself that question today. If you and I are going to truly understand what it means to be justified, to be accepted by God, we have to understand the reality of sin in our lives. The second thing I want you to think about is this. Embrace the grace of Jesus. As you realize where you're at, as you realize the situation that you're in, as you realize the hopelessness of your situation, and you realize that there is nothing Let me say it again. Nothing that you can do to bring yourself out of it has nothing to do with your background, whether you were raised in a Christian home or not. Has nothing to do with how much you read the Bible on your own. Has nothing to do with how much Bible knowledge you have. Has nothing to do with how much you serve at the church. Has nothing to do with how good you are. None of that has anything to do with it. It's only going to result from one thing. You're trusting in the fact that somebody else died for you. That's Jesus. Embrace it. And when you embrace it, the blessing of grace comes in your life. What blessing of grace? Well, I already told you. Forgiveness. Acceptance. Mercy. 
So where are you at today? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Let's pray. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.